You're listening to a 3CR podcast created in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au. Welcome to The Gardening Show on 3CR. I'm Stephen Ryan from Dixonia Rare Plants at Mount Macedon and the YouTube channel The Horticulturalists. We've got Emma Heard here this morning. We've done all this, but none of you heard it, so we're <laughs> going to go through it again. Um, from Little Green Landscapes, how are you, Emma? Yeah, very well, thank you. That's good. Thanks for having me. And uh, we also have Penny Woodward, a uh, famous author and... Doyen of all things herbal. Uh, how are you this morning, Penny? I'm well, Steve, especially now that we're back, we're on air. Yes, and it was one of those funny little things I've never had to deal everyone. with before, yes, so no, there you go. Not your fault. Uh, well, I should know better, but anyhow, I just don't, so it's, it's what it is. So I apologise to all, all of those of you out there who've been sitting patiently. I hope we haven't lost too many people that have decided to switch off this morning. Um, but anyhow, we're on air now and all things going well. Now, I've got a few announcements to make. Some of you may have a few announcements to make, so we might as well go through a few of those. Some of you will be aware that it is Clean Up Australia Day today, and there'll be events all over the place, probably through your local council and others. Um, I have one, though, that's going on today at the Melton Botanic Gardens. They're having a clean-up day at the gardens, I think, down along the creek, uh, starting at 10 o'clock. I'm sure anybody in the Melton area would be welcome to go along and join in their clean-up day. Uh, So please do. Um, That would be good because we do need to keep our environment clean and tidy. Um, Open Gardens Victoria has Brookdale Garden at Emerald open today between 10 and 4.30. Uh, John Rayner's Garden, uh, it's $10 per adult um, and there are uh, children free and a discount for students and all the money that is raised is going to Global Gardens for Peace. So that's a very worthwhile thing to get involved in and John's Garden will be looking fabulous. So just dress properly if you're going to go up there. So um, yeah, so there you go. So that's um, up at Emerald. And although it's a little way into the future, I like to mention things that are coming up that you need to pop into your diary. And of course, the uh, Yarra Valley Rare Plant Fair is coming up at Wandon, and it's on the Anzac weekend. So it's the 23rd and 24th 
not the 25th, so just the Saturday and Sunday, at Quail Road, Wandon, um, uh, run by the Larkmans, and it's always a fantastic event where there's lots and lots of different suppliers of all sorts of different plants. There'll also be food available, local wines, boutique beers, so um, there'll be a... I'll be up on the stage emceeing and there'll be speakers throughout the two days talking on specific gardening subjects. So... Have a look at that as well. Put it in your diary. I'd love to see you up there on that particular day. Um, And, well, finally, but not exactly, not complicatedly, uh, the Mount Macedon District Horticultural Society is having their 100th birthday this year. Wow. And we have decided, uh, in our wisdom or otherwise, to put on an autumn festival as part of our 100th anniversary And we have a whole range of um, different things going on from the end of March right through to the end of April. And I'll just quickly read them off to you. We have our classical autumn competitive show, which will be on the 26th and 27th of March at the Golf Club Hall. Um, One of those really typical country flower shows, which is great fun. We will have an autumn botanic art exhibition which will also be held in the Golf Club Hall. Um, And the exhibition is Saturday, Sunday and Tuesdays um, from the 2nd till the 17th of April. So it's every Saturday, Sunday and Tuesday. The Tuesday is actually um, an artist in residence day. So some of the artists who've got work for sale uh, at the exhibition will be there working so you can see them and work with them and see how it all goes and all that sort of stuff. We have two botanic art workshops for advanced botanic artists. We have John Pastorizzi Panol on the 6th, 7th and 8th of April. And for intermediate botanic artists, we have Steph Goss on the 13th and 14th of April. Um, We have the Australian Contemporary Opera Company, uh, a young artist's uh, concert that will be on the 10th of April at our garden, Tagurium, in Centenary Avenue, Macedon. And we have Dreaming Gardens, which is a Master Gardener's Compare Notes, a day of dreaming and discussing on the 20th of April. And the Master Gardeners involved are yours truly, Simon Rickart and Michael McCoy. So three reasonably well-known names in the horticultural industry. Um, And we have some garden workshops coming up. There'll be a propagation workshop with me on the 21st of April, a floristry workshop um, uh, with uh, Alan Randall-Smith on the 22nd of April, and how to make beautiful things from garden offcuts with Greg Block on the 23rd of April. Now, all of those events are listed on the Mount Macedon and District Horticultural Society website. And you can go into Try Booking to book for any of those events that you would like to come to. Um, So we would love to see you either at the Flower Show, the Botanic Art Exhibition, the Botanic Garden uh, or the Botanic Art Workshops if you're keen to learn about Botanic Art. We'd love to see you at our Opera Soiree at Tagurium. And, of course, the Dreaming Gardens uh, uh, with the Three Musketeers um, on the 20th of April. So go into the Mount Macedon District Horticultural Society website have a look at the events there. It's got all the costings, etc., and you can book via try booking. So they're all my events. <laughs> Has anybody else got anything they'd like to talk about? Um, <clears throat> I well, you talked at cross purposes earlier, Steve, because the event that I was thinking of up at 
um, the Larkman's place was actually the Herb and Chili Festival. Which is another one. <laughs> which is on in two weeks' time. Yes. Yeah, so, so that's yes, on so. the 19th and 20th of March. So and I that's just, always a great event. It is a terrific event and yeah. they have some really fantastic cooking and anyone who's interested in chili should go because... And, yeah, any of you macho so much, types can go and see yeah, if you can eat the hottest but, chili known to man yeah, or something. But there's also some amazing <laughs> chilies to buy, which mm. come in all different flavours and, yeah. and heat range. So it's it's well worth well worth heading up there. So I just thought I should mention that, given that it's um, yeah, that's quite two close. Weeks away. The thing that I would like to mention is that I'm involved in the Red Hill Show. So I think that everyone who's putting on events at the moment needs to be supported because oh, yes. there's a lot of people who are quite hesitant about going places but it one of these one of the things that we all can be doing is being out in the open air so um i think it's it's um it's well worth going to all sorts of events and and i'm at the red hill show i'm going to be speaking at midday about garlic just for something completely different <laughs> <laughs> and um but there, there are other speakers like John Patrick's coming to talk about enjoyable spaces in the garden. We've got a, a lovely event where anyone with a beard can go along and join the floral beard competition. So the flowers are supplied and you get to decorate your beard and you get judged oh, on... So My beard's not long enough. <laughs> All you've got to do is have a beard, which I could put some violets in there. <laughs> yeah, I could do a miniature tray garden so in my beard. A, yes, there's a lovely picture on their on their website of the sort of the sort of beard. I'm just showing this to the others. So, oh, so this is the sort of thing goodness that they're expecting me. people yes. to do. That would so, stop people in the street. <laughs> it would indeed. So, so lots and lots, and it's a traditional show. So you yeah. can go and look at the biggest. Zucchinis and the tallest, oh, fantastic! And I love all that. Pumpkins and oh, what so date is that? This then? is um, next Saturday. Next Saturday. Yeah. Oh, and so, finally, because we haven't mentioned it yet, too, uh, it's the last day today of the Ferny Creek uh, yeah. plant fair yeah. today. Uh, so there's lots of suppliers up there selling all sorts of fabulous plants that you won't find in mm. the usual nurseries. And um, if you're and, king, then you can go to the Ferny Creek. Uh, sale and then go to John Rayner's. Well, of course you could. You could make a day of it. Exactly. So that would be a good idea. And, of course, the gardens at Ferny Creek are worth looking at too. They're amazing. Yeah, so that's in Hilton Road, Ferny Creek today. I assume it opens about 10 o'clock. It does. And, uh, my goodness, autumn's on a way. to the Red Hill Show just for a second. Yes. Sorry. Sorry. (laughs) That's all right. (laughs) You got all enthusiastic. Um, yeah, so I just wanted to say that it's open from 8.30 to 5 o'clock. All right. And you, you get to see the animals. So, you know, bring the kids along. There's kids' events as well. Oh, so I think it's going to be a really good day. Um, and I'll have a stall there as well. So I'll be there to answer questions and I'm selling books and stuff like Fantastic. that. So, and the other thing I wanted to mention, because I won't be on air again before then, is Mifka's, so Melbourne International oh, Fire yes, and Garden course. Show. Yes, Which yes, is coming. coming up on the... It starts on the 30th, mm-hmm. 31st, and then 1st, 2nd, and 3rd. Fantastic. So Wednesday to Sunday. Yes, and we've March all missed it, haven't we? And April. Missed it terribly. Yeah, I yeah. Just, you know, I hadn't realised when you work at home, 
and you don't, I mean, you have your nursery, so you're mm. talking to gardeners all the time, but Mifkas is one of the few yeah. times that I get to talk directly with gardeners, yeah. and we haven't yeah. had it for two years. Yeah. So. And also many dear friends and colleagues. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. just the networking like of catching just, up. Yeah, it's just so yeah. lovely to see yeah. friends and colleagues doing what they love. Yeah. 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 yeah, exactly. So, yeah, so it's good to see some things coming back to a semblance of normality. Yeah. So, so yes. And, again, it's another event that's outside. So, I mean, you, if you want to go into the into the main building and that's entirely fine too and it's huge spaces but the rest of it is outside so um, I'll be there on the um, ABC magazine stand so working with um, I'm there for Organic Gardener magazine fantastic um, I'll be there for Wednesday Thursday and Saturday and Sunday if you want to come and say good day. And imagine all the great questions you're going to get. Gardeners will have been saving up their questions yeah. for the past two years. Yes, exactly, yeah. yes. Yeah. Well, let's hope they haven't waited all that time to save a plant. <laughs> no, true. <laughs> no, yes, true. two years is a bit long. Now, we better open up the lines and everything. I have one event. Oh, Sorry. all right, all right. Sorry. then we'll open up the lines, Emma. One, one event to share. Encouraging women in horticulture are happy to be having a tour of Jack Semler's garden on the 20th of March at 10am. So we We'd welcome people to RSVP. Um, just visit our website, www.encouragingwomeninhorticulture.com.au. Fantastic. Uh, actually, I've got something else I'll mention shortly, but I will give the numbers out because we'd love to hear from everybody. Um, so the talkback number is 94190155. And if you want to send us a text message... Um, the text number is zero four triple eight zero nine eight five five. So that's zero four triple eight zero nine eight double five, or the talkback number nine four one nine zero one double five. And just quickly, I'll mention something. I'm not sure whether there's any seats available, but if anybody is interested, um, Australian studying abroad. Um, with me as the tour leader, is running a tour around the Macedon Ranges in April. Uh, Go on board their website and have a look. Um, We did it last year and it was fantastic. So I'm not sure whether there's any seats still available, but if you are keen to have a look, uh, it's four days during the week um, and we visit gardens all around Mount Macedon and we also go over to David Glenn's at Lamley Nursery. Uh, we visit Simon Rickart's garden. Um, and uh, so and I've got a new garden in Lionville that we're visiting that, uh, as far as I know, has never been open to the public before. And, in fact, I did a, YouTube, a couple of YouTube videos on this particular garden again garden called Reverie in Lionville and they have the most eccentric and fabulous hedges I've ever seen in my life. Um, They trim things within an inch and they've got this fabulous cloud pruned cypress hedge which is just this amorphous mass of dark green which is fabulous. They've also got a tapestry beach hedge so it's green and copper beaches all muddled together and they've got a cypress hedge that's a circle with a door cut in it so you can go into the middle and it's about well in the old measurements about 30 feet high and it's sort of like this huge big castellation stuck up on the top of a hill. Um, wow. So it's a really interesting garden. So if you want to come along, go into the ASA website. Uh, you can 
click on Masseton Ranges or you can click on my name um, and look at the tour and the dates and then get in touch with them and see if there's any seats left. I'm not sure that there are, but uh, I know that there were up until a week or two back, so it might be worthwhile if, you, if you're if you really keen to get out and about and see some interesting gardens. Mm, and impressive to hear of people doing something cutting edge with hedges. Yes, yes. I was blown away by this place. I'd sort of known about it for years uh, because a very close friend of mine who's now retired, but he was their hedger. Um, mm. And so John kept ta- saying to me, you really got to see their hedges at some <laughs> stage. I'm very proud of them and they are looking really smart. And so I did a few months ago, went out there and I couldn't get my friend Matthew back fast enough to do some filming. And I've also been able to include it into the tour, which is fabulous. So, yeah, so you might not want to make hedges like that yourself, but it's fantastic to see that other people can. Mm. So... So there we go. So we've got the announcements out of the way. We've mentioned the phone number, so please ring in. We'd like to know that people are listening to us and haven't turned off because I didn't get all the buttons correct again this morning. Um, And we have in front of us quite a number of plants. We've all bought in bits and pieces, so we'll try and get through a few plants this morning. I know I put pictures of mine up on the, um, or at least Liz did for me. I sent Liz some photographs, and I'm assuming she's got them up on the 3CR Facebook page uh, so you ca- hopefully will be able to go in and see what the plants look like no matter how well we describe things sometimes it's mm-hmm. nice to see Not an image um, we might start with Emma first because she's got a plant in front of her that I have a great soft spot for and you don't it's not talked about often and and it's a sort of a quirky plant because it's not like the classical plant in its genus in a way so tell us all about it Emma. Well I was fortunate enough to be able to go to the Fernie Creek plant show yesterday and I I picked up a hydrangea simanii um, which I have I'm familiar with in gardens but Mm. I would like I wanted to plant it in my own Um, and it's quite a beautiful hydrangea um more like a lace cap type of flower um and self-affixing it's a climbing hydrangea i should say yes that's a good start because that's where it varies from the vast majority of the genus yes and it it can get quite tall and quite Mm. wide Mm. um it's not invasive in Mm. my opinion no it's very prunable yes and uh, yes responds really well to pruning um and because it's self-affixing, you don't need to attach a trellis. You can have it grow on a wall or a fence quite mm. quite simply, which is wonderful. Um, and I think evergreen. Yes, it is evergreen. Evergreen. Mm. And it really does well with cold mm. and heat. Yeah. Like well, it's it, Mexican. Yes. So it comes from the hills. But um, nonetheless, it, it can cope with some summer heat and it can also cope with quite cold conditions. Yeah. So would, it's certainly nothing we could throw Would it cope at. with um, intense heat on a sort of north-westerly wall? Doubt it. Yeah. Mine on – I've got one on – I was telling Emma earlier when, she, when I saw she'd brought it in. I've got one on a wall at home and it's on a – it's actually on a bagged brick wall. Mm. Uh, but the wall faces south. And it's done exceedingly well. Masses of flowers. We've even done a YouTube video on it. Um, but when it gets above the spouting and catches a bit of the hot mm, afternoon mm. sun from over the roof, I get a few burnt leaves on the yeah, top of it. So that's what I was mm. thinking. Looking at the leaves, they mm. look as if they're probably a bit heat. I would yeah. say, yeah, morning sun. Yeah, morning sun or Can just really? high light levels. Mm. It doesn't actually need direct sun. Yes. And, in fact, it's probably one of the few... Well, I can't think of anything do, else that's cold, hardy, self-clinging and evergreen that flowers. And will deal with quite deep shade, yeah. in fact. Yeah. So really, really lovely plant. I will put in one point of warning, though. When it gets up onto – well, 
it's not warning, it's just don't do what a lot of people do. When it gets up onto the wall, it will send shoots out off the wall mm. so it doesn't stay flat to the wall. And those shoots that stick out are the adult wood and they're the shoots that flower mm. and I've regularly had people who've planted climbing hydrangeas and they keep keeping it cut back to the wall to keep it neat and tidy yes. and they can't get it to flower and so they come and see me and say why doesn't my climbing hydrangea flower and I normally leap straight in and say have you been cutting off the shoots that come straight out yeah. because I've got used to having to answer the question now um, and oh yes because we wanted to keep it nice and neat on the wall and I say well if you want to keep it nice and neat on the wall then you've got an evergreen non-flowering climber mm. But if you want it to flower, you've got to allow those shoots to come out. That's wonderful advice. And mm. I would say the leaf is quite similar to a climbing star jasmine as well. Mm. So, you know, if you like that leaf and you like that look, you can get a very similar look, but with a very, you know, a much nicer flower in my opinion. Yeah, and it's good. It comes out around about Christmas. And uh, good if you don't like fragrance. You know, some people don't like fragrance mm. and that's... Mm. This is sad, that, but it, yes, it does happen. If some you've people, got allergies, yeah, yeah, yeah. So sadly, some people don't like it, but I think the climbing hydrangeas are fabulous, and uh, mm. people should look at them more. And there are other species. I mean, there's deciduous ones, there's evergreen ones. There's one I saw growing in Chile called Hydrangea serratifolia, which is not dissimilar to Simanii. Mm. Um, and I saw it in the beech forests in southern Chile growing probably to the top of a 100-foot beech tree. Wow. And they grow up the side of the tree and then they send out all mm. these short shoots out of it where their lace cap flowers sit and it was breathtaking. What a sight. Yeah, absolutely. It's a fabulous plant. So they'll grow to any height of any support you've got. And I'd just like to add another little something about them. If you haven't got a support, doesn't mean you can't have one because they'll actually just grow as a moundy bush. True. And flower. So you could end up with something a metre and a half tall, uh, a bit wider than it is tall. It'll run along the ground a bit, so you may have to sort of prune it back a bit. But you could grow it as a bush. Mm. So there you go. Hydrangea semanii, which I think is a fabulous plant. Um, all right, we've got a question that's come in. we better go to it straight away because it's something for Penny here. So um, good morning, Marion. Are you there? Good morning. Ah, you are. Now, you. You're in Northcote and you have a garlic question. I have a garlic question. All right. Go, Marion. Okay. So I have grown garlic for a few years and I've really been using and applying your wonderful book, Penny. <laughs> Thank you. And my, uh, I guess I'll just jump to it. So look, the crops I've put in at other people's places outside Melbourne have gone really well. Yep. In Melbourne, less well. It might be a light question. So you were speaking about light before. But it also might be that I have a lot of mature fruit trees. So just to jump into it, do you think it would be um, feasible if I can build up and really... Um, I've, I've increased the height of my raised beds. So I've got these mature fruit trees, which I expect have a big root run going through there. Yep. If I can build up, say, 20 centimetres of really rich soil, will I get a good garlic crop under them? Given that the light does come through because um, they're deciduous, look, yeah. The the <laughs> garlic needs full sun, really good drainage, um, and doesn't like competition. Yes. So you need to take that into account. So you will probably not get as good a crop as yes. if you have all of those things together, um, but you will still get a crop. So the the main issue will be, and I had real problems with my garlic crop this year, 
because I have quite a shady garden because I let trees grow because I love them and um uh, but the the humidity that we had early on in the season uh, uh, sorry at the end of the season um uh, my all my garlics got rust mm. so oh. and that can be really hard to control um mm. once it sets in and usually it sets in a bit later when the when the bulbs have already swollen so it doesn't really matter but this was just a month earlier and so it took the vigour out of the leaves just uh. at the point that the garlics were trying to swell. Mm. So extra shade and extra moisture around the plants can create problems like rust. Um, can you ever plant garlic, this will sound silly, but on its side so that um, moisture doesn't get so much into its crown? No. No. It has to be. It needs to be. It needs to be grown yeah. straight up because yeah. it has. It's so long in the ground. Yes. It needs to have that upward and the light reaching mm. the leaves. And in theory, the the bulbs wouldn't take moisture in, would they, Penny? Because the leaf sheaths tend to completely enclose yeah. the bulb. Yeah. So yeah. I would have thought. So it's the, not the bulbs that are taking yeah. the moisture in. It's the wa- moisture on the leaves yeah. that sure. is the problem. And sure. I've actually decided. And and I'm sorry, this is getting away from your question, but. Um, I've actually decided not to plant turban garlics this year. Mm-hmm. So turban garlics are the things like Monaro purple and um, the purple striped garlics, and they're beautiful garlics, but their leaves are much broader and they sit flatter. Oh, so they'll hold so moisture. things like the silver skins and the creoles and the, even the artichokes, all the leaves are more upright. And thinner. Mm. And, and they're more narrow, yeah. The artichokes are a bit wider, but... Um, they tend to be more upright, so the turbans just have moisture sitting on them. So I just so which group does my rose duval fit into? Rose duval, it depends. Mm. Rose duval is a name that's given to a turban cultivar, yeah. probably mistakenly. Ah, right. But it should be a silver skin. Yeah. So if it doesn't put up a escape, it has once. Okay. <laughs> that's, we we talk about artichokes and silver skins mm. as being. Um, not usually putting mm. up scapes because in certain years, particularly with heavy rain, they will put up scapes. Yeah. I got scapes yeah. on some of mine yeah. year before last, I think, for yeah. memory. Yeah. Um, sorry, but they don't sorry. normally. So to go back to your question, I think it's yes. worth doing everything that you've said and yes. giving it a go. Mm. Giving it a go, yeah. but also um, spreading my risks up by putting some in up at the Murray where it's very dry. Yeah, absolutely. And, oh, if you've got somewhere um, else to plant it. Yeah. Mm. Put oh, yeah, some creoles in. Try some, creoles. <laughs> Try some creoles up at the Murray. Yeah. And where it's gone best, of course, is with my sister, who's a fantastic gardener in um, in Central Vic. So she's, she just gives yep. it all over to the garlic and broadbean. Yep. And it's a garlic alone bed. But um, I think that I should be resp- a responsible person and use that ground in between the fruit trees. Yep. Um, it, so we'll just see how we go. And it will and I help guess, the fruit trees. Mm. So even if right. the garlic isn't brilliant, it will actually help to keep the fruit trees healthier. Well, particularly this feeding that I'm planning. Mm. So mm. that would be just a good good manure, a layer of manure and compost. Um, and... Don't put too much nitrogen yeah. in it. So just okay. any too, uh, really high nitrogen, um, you end up with thick necks and um, you don't get the good bulb sizes. And, right. and it can make them more prone to what we call side sprouting. And can, if I can just get one tiny quick one, I know you're out of time. Uh, when rust does come, do I should I reject those? Should I eat those and not keep them for seed garlic the following year? Um, yes, but if you yeah. need to, if you've got a particular line that you want to keep growing, um, you also need to not plant back into that soil again because all the spores yeah. will be in the soil. 
Um, but if you can soak the cloves in a potassium um, bicarbonate mix um, yep. before you plant, then that mm-hmm. should deal with, with any spores that you've got on the cloves. Thank you so, so much. That's, That's great. Uh, it's a pleasure, pleasure. Marion. Nice to talk to you. All right. Bye-bye. Good on you. Okay, bye. All right. Moving right along. Um, all right, we've talked about the hydrangea. It must be your turn to talk about something, Penny. You've got a whole pile of bits and pieces <laughs> okay. there. Well, St- Stephen was very rude about my plants. So <laughs> well, you do have a limp thing. And, and it was because it went really limp. But this is currently one of my favourite herbs, and it's a herb called lovage. Mm. And I haven't, I'm sorry, I haven't put it up on the website. <laughs> it sort of has a celery-like look about it, yeah, doesn't it? Yeah, and it, it has a sort of celery-like flavour, but yeah. it, it is different. Mm. And I just, I love the flavour. So try, you can try a little bit. Yeah. Because I've tried it because I had it in the garden for years. I didn't use it much, though, so I sort of gave up on it. So what would you do with it? Oh, look, any sauce that you're making. I actually now put, because I've developed a real liking for the flavour, I actually put it in salads as well. Yeah, you could. It'd um, yeah, give it a, a nice interesting... And you can use the seeds in different things as well. Mm. It's in the family where um, if you want to grow it from seed, seed only lasts about 12 months. So, yeah, only, so you have it to get it in fresh. Half, mm. Half-life. Um, but it's a classic in stews and soups and those sorts yeah. of things. Mm-hmm. So, um, And it's quite a big herb, isn't it? I remember it, it, it getting quite, get quite large. I'm actually growing mine under one of my fruit trees, ah, yeah. and it, which is keeping it quite small. Um, and but in flower it attracts it attracts all these beneficial. So in the because it's mm. in the Apiaceae, it they just bring all the beneficial insects. In yeah, yeah. fantastic. And ladybirds would really. Like yes. Yeah. yeah. All of those. Yeah. So, so lovage. I, I think it's a, it's a very old herb, but it's one that we should be revisiting mm. because There's a lot all of that, sorts of there? things become suddenly mm. cool in the in the cooking. Do they well, what? Yes, and, it's amazing. Um, it sort of looks, the leaf looks sort of like a large salad burnet. Mm. Or burnet. No, salad burnet has a round, more round okay. leaf. Yeah, I think it um, looks sort of like a, <laughs> a, a, a thin-stemmed celery it, or a parsley on steroids. It definitely has a celery flavour. Yeah, so... But it's celery plus. It's got mm. that almost. Yeah, it's got a different flavour to it. Vegetable stock type flavour. Yeah. So Definitely. it's a yeah. Now, so I think it's a great. Fantastic. Plant. All right. So people should revisit Lovage. Yes. All right. It might be my. T- oh, I'll read out the numbers again because we haven't got any calls coming in at the moment. So please do ring. You can ring to talk to us on air on nine four one nine zero one double five, or you can text us a question on zero four triple eight zero nine eight double five. I've got something I want to talk about, and what I want to talk about are these sensitive little beasties here, uh, which are the floral emblem of Chile, uh, Lapigeria rosea, the Chilean bellflower. Mm-hmm. It's known as capiwi in Spanish. Um, any Chilean that comes into my nursery and sees one of these in flower just about melts. They get so excited because they don't realise that the plant's in Australia. And it is one of the queens of the climbing plant group Um, but it's also being a queen of the climbing plant group of plants it's also a bit of a prima donna so it Mm. can be quite hard to grow well Uh, the wild form is a sort of a cherry pink red Um, so that's what it looks like in the wild and the pictures are up I hope on our um, Facebook page so that's Lapigeria rosea in a more or less wild form they're is a nursery in Chile in a town called Angol uh, called La, uh, 
La Virgil, uh, which is the garden in Spanish, apparently. And they sent people out into the wild to try and find colour variants in Lapiduria. And they found apparently 69 what they say were distinct variants of the species mm. because there's only the one species in the genus. It's a, it's a very small genus, can't be much smaller. We've known about white ones for a long time and I've brought in a flower of a white selection which is called Toki. It has extra long trumpets on it and it's a nice clean white. Um, so we've known about whites for some time and I can remember as a young budding nurseryman, pun intended, um, buying known white lapidurias from Chandler's Nursery in the Basin, Como Nurseries in the Basin, and if they had white ones that had a flower on them because they used to raise all the lapidurias from seed, so you couldn't be sure you were getting a white until they flowered, and if they had a white one with a flower on it, and this is going back at least 30 years, I was paying $50 wholesale for those plants. Wow. So, you know, that, and they were this funny little sort of twiggy thing with a few leaves on it in an eight-inch pot um, with one flower sitting on it that so you knew it was white. Um, and would you put them in your garden or were you... I was reselling them. Un- yes. Yeah, I was on selling them. Although having said that, I've got one of those that I did plant out in my nursery, uh, which is a mass of flowers at the moment with white bells hanging all over it. Um, and so it's been there for 30, 35 years or whatever. Uh, but they also found bicolours in the wild. Mm. This one has a cute little bell. It's white with sort of cerisi pink picoteed sort of edges around it and flaring going back up through the flower. They found mid-pinks. They found a double red one. They found a darker red, which they called Sangral de Toro. Uh, so they had this whole range of different forms of lapiduria, all wild found. They weren't mm. bred and, mm. and created. Um, That's fantastic. So a, a guy out here imported a whole pile of them at one stage, so they've made it into the country, but they're fairly hard to get because lapiduria is woefully difficult to propagate. It's all right from seed, but you can't guarantee colours, of course, when you raise seedlings, uh, and they're slow. So to get a seedling plant up and ready for sale takes three to four years, okay. and that for a nurseryman mm. is a long time. Mm. The only way you can grow known clones is by layering. They won't strike from cuttings. Uh, so you have to pin sort of serpentine, layer them down into pots. Mm. It's fiddly. It's slow. It takes 18 months, two years for them to take root. And then you've got to separate them, grow them on and get them ready for sale, which again takes quite a long time. So what I'm leading to is that if you can buy a named variety like Arco Iris or Toki or any of the other named ones out there, they're quite expensive to buy. Mm. Um, and I think rightly so. I mean, if you're going to put all that effort in. I and mean, would really. you prop them in a hot house? No, no, you do it out in a shade house. Okay. Um, so, I mean, it's easy enough to do, but it's just very slow and you've got to keep your, your layers watered well because mm. if they dry out, they just won't take root. Um and so there's a lot of fiddle involved in it. Um, so you won't get even a seedling lapidaria under 60 to $70 that's a decent size. Um, the named clones are even more expensive if you can get them. So and you have them? I haven't got many of the named clones available at the moment. I've got a good batch of seedlings that were raised from white ones, from mid-pink ones and from red ones, but I make no guarantees mm. about the colours. Uh, and they're not fl- quite flowering size yet. I'm hoping in the next 12 months that those I've still got might start flowering so that I can then say that's a red one. Um, now, if you're going to grow a lapidaria, though, there is some serious in- uh, things you need to consider. They don't like direct sun but they like high light levels. That's hard to say in the morning. Um, they like a very acidy, organic-rich, composty soil because they grow in forests in southern Chile where it's damp and lots of leaf mould. 
They are martyrs to slugs and snails because the new shoots come from below ground level and they get mown off on a regular basis if you've got slugs and snails, and that's where the best growth comes from. They're also attacked by red spider mite if you don't get natural rain on them. So if they're underneath a roof or an eave or something like that and they're not getting enough moisture on the foliage, you'll get red spider mite. But they're a very light, airy climber. You could grow them in a big pot on a triangle of metal. You could grow them in between some windows on a south-facing wall. Could Uh, you grow them indoors? No. Okay, good to know. They don't like the indoors. They like humidity. So indoors generally don't do that. So they're a challenge to grow. Now, I have got clients that are doing quite well with them, uh, both in Melbourne and obviously in the hills and up around Mount Macedon where they do particularly well. Um, I had a lady who grew one in a water well pot by a swimming pool for years in full sun and it flowered and it didn't burn. And I was never game to tell her she was doing all the wrong things because it was working. Mm. So it can be one of those sort of prima donna Mm. things that sometimes will work despite you. I love when plants surprise you though. Yeah. Yeah. The trouble with Lapageria though is if it doesn't like you, it won't die promptly. Mm. It will linger and linger and linger. And, and give you false hope. Yeah, and, you know, still got green leaves on. It might live. And, and it could do that for years before it decides to peg out. Oh. So I actually prefer plants that just die promptly and then I can move on. Uh, Lapageria doesn't do that. All right, we've got a, a question coming in. We better answer this one. I think we have Anne from Borwin. Are you there, Anne? Yeah, hi, Steve. Ah, hi, good. Susan. How are you this morning? I'm good, thank you. Yourself? Yeah. Oh, we yep. can't complain now that we're on air properly and we're not <laughs> At last, me, yeah. me mucking up yet again. Um, now, Anne, you seem to say from the question I can see up on the board there, you've got a thrip problem. I, I think I think it's thrip all over my um, hibiscus. I, I think it's thrip, that black stuff thrip, isn't it? Are they, on the... Have you got insects or is it actually a fungal disease that's black on the leaves? No, it's on it, it's uh, it's on the um, flowers, not on the leaves. Okay, it's but are the... they are they insects, little insects? Um, not sure. I thought they were, but maybe they're maybe it's because uh... if it's thought... if it's sort of a, a, just a blackness spreading over the flowers, it's more likely to be a sooty mould. Um, oh, okay. But if they, you know, when you shake the plant, if they, no, they fly don't away. Fly off. No, they don't. Okay. I, I mm. think it might be sooty mould, and that actually doesn't entirely surprise me. No, in this sort of damp weather we've been yeah. getting, yeah. yeah, it might be something you have to live through to yeah. an extent. Yes, yes. If, it, if it's really, if it's a light smattering, you can try cleaning it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's what I was going to say, a soapy cloth, yeah. just wiping wiping the flowers and the leaves and you can actually well, wipe it off. I have done that. I have done that, but it's yep. just, I mean, it's massive. It's everywhere. There's okay. so yeah. much of it. Quite and a I've tried cream. blasting it with the hose. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, well, Emma just said pruning it back hard and that actually sometimes is the way to go mm-hmm. if you've got a really bad infestation of anything on a plant. You can sometimes manage it better if the plant's a lot smaller because you've got less surface area to deal with. Mm. So a heavy prune back might actually not be a bad thing. I mean, you're in ball when you won't get a lot of frost, so a hibiscus mm. should bounce back from a, a heavy prune, mm. even though it's a bit out of sync with when I'd normally prune a, a hibiscus. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I'd be sure not to compost the material. Mm. No, I'm not. I'm, I'm not doing that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm wrapping it in newspaper and putting it in my rubbish bin. <laughs> so, yeah, I don't think we've got a silver bullet for this yeah, one. Yeah, look, the only other thing which is a sort of a, a bit of a um, works for a lot of fungal diseases would be to spray it with milk. 
So oh, one, milk. Yeah, okay. one to nine. So one part milk to um, nine parts water. And oh, just, give that a go. Just yeah. give that a go. Now, are we talking full cream milk? Are it, we, doesn't, yeah. it actually it doesn't matter. It doesn't. Well, let's, no, well you, we've no. got to clear, make this clear. Yeah. I'm assuming, no, it's not coconut milk or, no, or, or soy milk or yeah. almond. or need dairy milk. You need dairy milk. Yes, right, yes. good. Or, one yeah. to nine, is it? One, one to nine, nine. yeah. Okay. And look, at the worst, it won't do any harm. Yeah, exactly. So give it, mm. give that a go. I'll oh, give that a go, yeah. And definitely. I would remove yeah. the worst affected parts yeah. if you can. Mm. All right, yep. Anne. I yep. hope that helps. Um, and can I just ask another quick one? Why not? There's nobody else on the line at the moment, so you might as well take <laughs> advantage, Anne. Okay. Um, the azalea, um, is it the red spider? Oh, the yeah, azalea oh, lacewing. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Cow of a thing. Mm. I know. Um, what can I do with it? Well, if you Apart if you took my well, I was going to say if you take my advice, you take the azaleas out because <laughs> uh, that's eventually what I did in my garden. I only yeah. had a few of them, uh, but in the end, I thought life is too short mm. to mm. spend my whole time trying to eradicate <laughs> azalea lacewing. <laughs> um, and so the three or four azaleas I had around the garden, I took out um, because it it was just driving me nuts, uh, mm. and I wasn't prepared to spray toxic chemicals. I I think at the time Bayer had something you could spray, which I think is off the market now anyway, uh, yeah, but it sounded rather toxic yeah. to me and so I wasn't prepared yeah. to use it. Mm. Um, and I don't know. Is it, I'm just asking you this. Is this a, a, a bug that is particularly hard to control? It can oh. be. It's, mm. And azaleas are loved by it and yeah. you can spray it and get rid of it, but it's going to come in from all the neighbours again. Yeah. So it's a long-term issue. My solution to something like that, temporary, um, if it's going to come in from next door, would be to use neem. Yeah. Because mm. it's organic. Um, it is a general um, pesticide. It will kill beneficial bugs as mm. well. But it is, um, it, it is at least not le- leaving toxic chemicals yeah. in your garden. So, again, okay, if you want to that. try something, yeah. get yeah. yourself some neem. I've and got some, yeah. But remember, it will be an ongoing thing. It's I know. not going yeah, to be something you'll clean up and then walk away from. But, it, but with anything yeah. like that, it's often better or worse in different years yeah. as well. Yes, so it it, yeah, it's obviously is, a bad year for it. And could year. I suggest, again, quite a hard prune? Mm. Because if you can reduce the amount mm. of foliage that you're dealing with you can really sort of reset the plant and the new growth will Mm. come back with a lot more vigor so if you do a hard prune spray the plant with the neem and then some fertilizer you could really make sure that the new growth comes back more robust Mm. I shall try all those things (laughs) thank you very much it's a pleasure Anne. we'll catch up again bye thank you bye bye now, if anybody wants to ring in, we are um, going right through till 9.15 and uh, uh, you could ring on 94190155 or text us on 04888809855 and Penny's waving a copy of Organic Gardener around so we can talk on just, that next, I think. Yeah, I just wanted to mention some of the um, stuff that's in, in this, this month's magazine. Um, it's been out for a couple of weeks, but... I, you know, every every issue we we come up with things that I haven't necessarily thought about before. But um, it it in this one I've written about a few different things. Karen Sutherland's written about celery, mm-hmm. which which I think is um, it's a terrific article because celery can be a bit tricky. To it grow can, sometimes. can't it? So a lot of people and struggle it, with it. It does need a bit of extra moisture. Is mm-hmm. is one of the main things. But you can also grow things like the the um, 
heirloom red stem celery, which actually just self-sows in my garden. So you don't get those really juicy stems, but you Mm. do get nice, strongly flavoured celery stems, and they're red, which is is really nice. Um, Jian Lu, who has been writing for us for um, quite a few issues now, and she's terrific growing in, in central Melbourne. And uh, she's talking about how to create your own food forest, even in a small space. Fantastic. So that's a really interesting article. And and you can even, in a pot, you can create a sort of a mini mini food forest. Um, I have written about some really drought-tolerant herbs, which are curry bush and santalina and Italian lavender and moonshine yarrow. And they also look really beautiful. They're amazing. What's yeah, wonderful they're, is they're, they're so really bright and yeah, they're I pretty. Did, I actually brought in a little bit of Santolina because I just now. What do you generally use Santolina for? I always think of it as more or less a uh, an ornamental herb. Yeah, more no, than it's a, a really good um, moth repellent. Ah, mm-hmm. so I, anytime I'm making anything to go in drawers or in um, yeah, uh, where I want to repel moths, I use Santolina leaves. Fantastic. Mm-hmm. But you, it makes it, it. There's lots of different forms. There's mm-hmm. low growing forms and taller growing ones. And, but they all have these beautiful bright yellow button flowers. And the foliage and just, on its own the foliage is a beautiful is, it's like It's like coral. Yeah, it's yeah. a lovely and plant, Santalina. Now, you, it's a bit like lavender, though, isn't it? It's not. It's one of those plants you need to keep trimmed down and to keep yeah, tidy and neat because yeah, it's I inclined to... go a bit wild. But yes, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, if you want them to look at their very best, yeah. then trimming them will certainly make yeah. them better. And lovely for a sensory garden because yes. it's got great texture yeah. Mm. Yeah. and Fabulous smell. And, and talking about sensory gardens, if you haven't been to the new sensory garden at the Botanic Gardens, you should go and have a look. Uh-huh. I was lucky it, enough fabulous. to work on it. Yeah. Oh, were you? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, well, it's a beautiful garden, and and yeah. it actually has quite a lot of plants in it that people can put into their own gardens. So I think that's a really nice innovation. Good. Um, Dennis Crawford has written all about ladybirds, ah. so you know he's such a good scientist, and he's um, the beneficial role that they play, the couple that that um, are a problem in some areas, and I, the thing that I was really pleased to see him. Um, sorting out is that the fungus-eating ladybird, the one that eats powdery mildew, oh, that turns yeah. up at this time of year when all your, your <laughs> zucchinis go going over. Yeah. Powdery mildew, there's been this um, urban myth that they actually spread the powdery mildew. Oh. And he says this is not true. Mm. He has spoken to numerous entomologists all over the world who say they have never seen any evidence of them spreading it. They well, just you, come and eat it. If you Good. do visit John Rayner's garden today, you'll see in in his veggie patch they're in full force and you can actually see them eating them. Yeah. 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 They're and incredible. I, I think you've got to be really nice to them because fancy spending your whole life eating powdery <laughs> Yeah, It doesn't sound like much of a fun thing to no. do. Um, and the other thing that I have got involved in, I'm not quite sure how I manage this, but I'm doing... Um, um, articles on tools. So yes. each each issue, I'm doing another. And this, the last in this one, um, I actually looked at battery powered tools. Um, ah. So uh, there are mowers now that mm. are every bit as good as petrol mowers, mm. um, and if not better. Um, there are whipper snippers that mm. are every bit as good as petrol ones. Um, there are leaf blowers that are every bit as good. We need, in the same way as we need to be moving to electric vehicles, we need to be moving to electrical, um, um, these these things that we use in the gardens. Yes. Um, 
And, you know, it's just, it's really important because there are so many of them. We don't think Mm -hmm. about how they're used in public spaces and they're used in private spaces and Everybody, almost every garden has a mower or a whippersnipper yeah. or all yeah, three. Well, I'm guilty. And, um, and I wholeheartedly when... agree with you. And, um, yeah, I, I've definitely started transitioning all my maintenance yep. equipment to battery-operated. Yep. And mm. my neighbour has a ride-on mower that's a that's battery. battery. Yeah, yeah. Goodness me. One of the things that you have to watch out for is that quite often they're advertised without the battery and the battery can be quite an expensive <laughs> ah. part yes. of it. The other thing is that the different companies are now making their batteries transferable between all yeah. their different devices. Well, that's an important thing. But that means that if you bu- the first one you buy is mm. a Husqvarna or a, you know whatever brand you're going for, you mm. need to keep buying that brand because yeah. then you uh, can they lock you in. for them. Mm. Well, it's better for you, yeah. but yeah. also it, it is tricky because you develop brand loyalty whether you want yes. to or not. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because well, Microsoft and to... Apple have been doing that for yeah. years. But, yeah, but you also it means you only have to have one charger, what maybe one or two if you want a backup battery, one yeah. or two batteries, um, and instead say, of having one for every device. So I will say, having uh, developed brand loyalty to one specific brand. I have required more batteries than I thought I would. I, yeah. Of course, I do. I'm maintaining four acres and my clients mm. as well. Yep. Yep. So in a day, I would probably go through nine batteries. Goodness. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, you know, depending yeah. on your level, yeah. if your mm. garden's quite large, you might like to get quite a few batteries mm. to have on rotation. Yeah. But if you but, have solar power, yeah, then you're really doing a wonderful thing for the environment. Yep. Yeah. And the the other thing is that they are the batteries are getting better, so yes. they're holding charge for longer, yeah. um, and they are actually also working on the whole recycling thing. But batteries are lasting longer as well; they will mm. last for ten to fifteen years now. Whereas no, it's not bad. Five years ago, they were only lasting for three or four or five yeah. years, which is somewhat counterproductive, Sorry. isn't it? Well, if you've got to then de- yeah. deal with the yeah. dead battery. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, but I have All been right. learning a lot more about lithium and recycling lithium, yeah. and that they're hoping to phase out major lithium mining by 2050 mm. and only have very small amounts of top-up mining of lithium. Yep. So if that concerns you, definitely do more research into lithium. Yeah, fantastic. And the, right. the lithium miners are also looking at processing recycled lithium yes. as well. Which is so, good. You know, All right, we've got another call in, uh, and it's our good friend Fermi, so we better go and say good morning to Fermi. How are you, Fermi? Good morning, good friend. Yeah, uh, very well, thanks. That's good. Now, you wanted to talk some more on Fernie Creek, I believe. Oh, of course. Yes. I almost met Emma yesterday because she had been sitting with with, uh, Virginia and I came and sat down with Virginia just after Emma left. Ah. And I said, who's on tomorrow? And she goes, well, Emma, who was just here. (laughs) Oh, lovely. Well, hopefully I get to meet you at at a propagation day soon. Okay. Yeah, so it was, a, it was a really good day, despite the weather. I mean, when you're driving up into the Dandenongs and all you can see is clouds, mm. uh, it's not very encouraging. But, of course, it doesn't stop the true gardeners who just have to get there as soon as they can. Of course. Of course. Yeah. And uh, we had quite a number of stalls there, and including, I think, the, the cheapest Eoniums I've ever seen. Because um, they had uh, Eonium Cabriolium uh, yeah. that grows flat. And um, 
There was a store called Aeonium Australia inside yeah. the hall. They were selling them for $4 each in a, in a four-inch pot. Goodness and uh, mm. I've never seen them that cheap before, and I wish I'd bought one. But um, <laughs> I uh, got around to thinking about asking for one. But anyway, oh, I might well. have to text somebody after and to buy one for me. Yes, well, it's your fault for chatting too much, probably, for me. These days, most of the time is spent just uh, talking to people. Yeah. But I got to meet quite a few people who've been um, uh, in touch with our group. I, I was representing the Alpine Garden Society because we had our um, seeds for sale. Yeah. And um, uh, Jane Tonkin very kindly offered us a bit of space on, on her stall. Oh, fantastic. So you go into the hall and you turn to the left, you see the back of the stage of the hall is um, all set out with Jane's bulbs and uh, it's just an amazing array. And, of course, a huge flowering size Brunswickia Josephine. <laughs> oh, well, that's going to get people's um, juices flowing when they see that. Yes. Uh, 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 she was interviewed for a television program, a gardening show, I think, on the ABC. And, oh, I wonder what program that was. Oh, uh, yeah. So it was uh, because apparently it's the ABC's 90th year and it's Fernie Creek's 90th year. So. Oh, well, there you go. So there's a bit of so, uh, s- symmetry there. I nearly said cemetery, yeah. sorry. Uh, yes, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, Fernie. Well, yeah, but um, anyway, um, Craig, uh, this is the only opportunity people have to buy things from Craig Gardner, and he grows yes. amazing array. He, his Oxalis collection puts yours into the shape, Stephen. Only just. Only just. I've got, se- I've got 75 different Oxaluses now. Yes, and he, he has, has a wonderful array yeah. of Lachinalias. Yeah, oh, there you go. All right, yeah. that's fantastic. Yeah, and uh, of course, uh, um, now, of course, we know Meryl Johnson's no longer selling uh, perennials, but yeah. there are other people selling perennials, including a new bunch. Um, from down Gippsland Way, I think, or Warrigal, um, uh, treasured per- perennial. And they uh young couple, and they've got an amazing array of plants. Now, that's young Ben, isn't it, that was up at um, yes, Wandon yes. last year? Yes. Oh, right, yes, yeah. yeah. So, uh, good stuff. Terry, yes. So um, they, uh, their store was definitely worth a visit. I, I think every store was worth a visit, really. Well, hopefully. But, uh, and if people are into woodwork... There is a stall inside the hall selling that sort of um, wooden toys and wooden carvings and things like that. So, you know, you might think, oh, I'm not going to... If you're interested in, in woodwork and you're not into gardening, well, this is an opportunity to combine the two. You know, the, 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 the one partner likes gardening and the other one likes woodwork. Come to Burney Creek and you'll see that. Mm-hmm. Now, there Fair is... Um, the, the, you do have to bring your proof of vaccination. They will ask for that on the gate. Mm-hmm. And uh, the idea uh, is because they've got a lot of stalls through the garden, they don't have as much parking inside the ground. So the Fernie Creek Reserve has been opened up for parking and nobody could bog, so that was all right. Despite the rain. And um, you can um, park on the reserve and then walk through the gate into the, uh, the, the Fernie Creek ground and uh, just show your proof of, um, of ID. Um, your proof of vaccination, and it's a, a $10 entry for non-members. And what a great incentive to become a member, because at the moment the membership is, I think, $35 for a couple. Yes. And um, 
you're, if you go to three shows a year, that's, you've more than paid for it twice over. So uh, it's a great idea to become a member of Fernie Creek at the same time. Fantastic, Fermi. Another wonderful yeah. thing they were selling was a lovely range of Stenocarpus, which mm. I found hard to source oh. anywhere else. Yes, yes. The I, Cape I'm not Primrose. Too... Yes, I have a feeling that might be the guy who came and gave a talk um, um, last month to Fernie Creek on um, on Streptocarpus. And, uh, yeah, they're, they're an amazing way of them, so... But, you know, there's there's a huge number of uh, things there. So, um, um, I th- and, and for the kids, there's apparently going to be a jumping castle there, or bouncy castle. Uh, um, dearie me. You can't wear your high heels on it, that's all. Uh, oh, well, I won't go then. All right, <laughs> Fermi, thank you thank so much for all that extra thanks. information. Thanks a lot. All See right. you later. Bye, Fermi. Bye. All right, now we've got a question that's come through, but she doesn't want to come on air. Barbara from Edith Vale wants to know, and it's a question for you, Penny, uh, as to whether Santolina might keep away pantry moths. Um, I, I haven't tried them on pantry moths because mm-hmm. I use bay leaves. Mm-hmm. Bay leaves for me, I, and I have two bay trees. so. And you've I, always got a surfeit of bay leaves. You've all, I've <laughs> always got a surfeit of bay leaves. Um, I, I, I think the main thing, you, I wouldn't hesitate to try it on the shelves yeah. in a pantry, but with I wouldn't put it actually in the flour or in with the noodles because it may actually absorb the flavour, mm. which is quite strong. Yeah, yes, it um, would be. Whereas with it? a bay leaf, you can put a whole bay leaf into a jar of flour mm. um, and it's fine. I mean, if the flour gets a little bit of the bay leaf flavour, it's not going to make any difference. But no. I, that's my slight hesitation. So yeah. I tend to but use Santolina it... for clothes and All right. for papers and stuff like that. And but, so you'd advise and, bay leaves. But I the... would use bay leaves for pantry moths. And there are a lot of little moths around mm. just at the moment. With, there yeah. are. So yeah. if you've got a bay tree or access to a bay tree, I'd be, I'd be. Um, Yes. Putting some bay leaves um, into your pantry. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) It certainly seems to be, doesn't it? Yeah. All right. Well, I hope, Barbara, that that answers your question. Um, Yeah, uh, and it needs to be fresh bay leaves. Fresh bay leaves. Don't go to the supermarket. Oh, and and buy buy those ones. Now, I was going to say, when you say fresh bay leaves, does that mean you should replace them on a comparatively regular basis? Yeah. Look, it's they they seem to last for about six months. Oh, that's not too bad. Yeah. So you're not having to swap them all the time. And I I also use bay leaves to keep silverfish out of books and papers and stuff Once like that. Once they stop smelling, really. Yeah, Because exactly. it's really the fragrance that you yeah, need. And, yeah. the, and the essential oils that yep. they're releasing. Fantastic. The All right, Barbara. Yep. Well, I hope that answers your question. I'm going to quickly just... Mention another one of my plants before all the flowers fall off. Uh, this is actually a plant that shouldn't be in flower at this time of the year, but it is. Um, and it's one of my ever-growing collection of tropical blueberries. Okay. Uh, wow. It's a plant from uh, southern Mexico through into Bolivia, and I'm sure I saw this or a similar species growing on the Inca Trail many years ago when I walked the Inca Trail into Machu Picchu. Um, and it's a thing called Cavendishia. And I've become obsessed by the tropical blueberries. I think they are just the most amazing group of plants. Uh, they're all edible. Um, I've got one of the ones from Colombia, uh, Maclinia, covered in so, quite big blueberries. So, at the moment. do they actually taste like blueberries? Or yes, are they just they're just about the same blandness. They look no, like they've got much the same okay. sort of not overly strong flavour, but um, yeah. you know the same sort of nice succulent. And, 
and berries. the fact that they're tropical does that that obviously means they still grow in your garden yeah the the thing with them is most of them come from up in the mountains so okay. although they're tropical countries they're not necessarily from specifically tropical environments okay. and so Cavendishia bracteata uh, it has bracts around the flower mm. clusters gets little red flowers with white tips and one of the reasons I'm particularly fond of these this whole group of uh, tropical blueberries is not only that they're extremely ornamental, many of them are epiphytic in the wild, so they can be grown in containers or in baskets, uh, and they're shade tolerant. And how many edible shade tolerant plants are there? You know, so if mm. you've got a shady garden mm. and you want to grow something that's edible, well, then the tropical blueberries mm. could be for you. Mm. Uh, and I mean, they're not all blueberries either, by the way. They're called blueberries, but they're some of the agapetes from the Himalayas. I've got one that has white berries with pink spots on. Okay. And perfectly edible. Uh, I've eaten, well, any of them that have produced berries, I've tried. And some of them are bigger, some are smaller, but they all have a flavour not dissimilar to a commercial blueberry. Um, And so they're really, really good plants. Mm. We get them from you. Some of them, I'm I'm working on some of them, so it's going to be a while before some of them come online as far as plants for sale are concerned. Mm. Uh, But I've got some from New Guinea. I've got one from northern Queensland, which unfortunately is fairly shy flowering, so that'll mean it'll be shy burying as well. But it's a very pretty thing called a paphia, um, a lovely native plant. Uh, And it can work as a climber. You can sort of train it up. Uh, things it's it's really a rambler you need to sort of have something you can let it wind up through it's wonderful um, to and, see such yeah. variation in habit oh. of the mm. one variety yeah well, well there's several genera the, it's not yeah. all the one so genus they, they are different mm. genera but they're all classed as the sort of blueberry group in the ericaceae family mm. and uh there are actually some tropical vacciniums, which, of course, the blueberries are. Yeah. And, and, uh, so, so are we likely to see these become more available, given that you think... Tentatively, you will. Yeah. Um, the problem is they're so unknown that mm-hmm. people aren't asking for them, so the general nurseries are unlikely to stock them, I mm-hmm. would have thought. Mm-hmm. Um, it's going to only be specialist growers that are going to do them. They're generally speaking not hard to propagate. Uh, they grow reasonably quickly. Uh, you can get a plant up and ready for sale in about 18 months, two years. It's a nice small mm. plant, perhaps in a five-inch pot or something like that. Um, they the, flower young. Yeah, but for the general punter at the moment. Oh, they, they're almost they're unavailable. unavailable. I've got a handful of species that I've got that I've actually got up to a point where I'm selling them. Um, mm. But my collection's probably 10 or a dozen. Um, and I just last week did a YouTube video on it. I think it was last week on the tropical blueberries on my okay. YouTube channel um, and gave people sort of a sense of the group. I mean, I don't have a huge collection. I mean, there's, they come from all over South America, right through the Malaysian Peninsula, down into Papua New Guinea, across into the Himalayas. So they come from a whole range of climates all the way through that part of the world, uh, mm. all from fairly high altitudes. Mm. Um, there will be differences in their cold hardiness, obviously, because they come from such a diversity of areas. Uh, But so far, most of the ones I'm growing, I'm growing in containers, mainly hanging baskets. I'm putting them in wire baskets with a core matting sort of Mm. base, which they love. Um, And they're growing in my shade house. And do Uh, they like Lots of food? Lots no, of a bit of slow-release fertiliser once a year is about all they need. I mean, things in the Ericaceae family are not mm. generally speaking heavy feeders, mm-hmm. so they don't need lots and lots of nitrogen and stuff. A bit more acidic soil. Yeah, though. oh, yeah, they come yeah. almost invariably from fairly acidic sort of leaf mouldy type of habitats. Mm. And some of them produce big lignotubers or cordexes, which can be mm. quite interesting as well, those big swollen bases, which become mm. part of the feature of the plant. Many of them have a lovely droopy habit, so in pots, 
pots or hanging baskets. They're fabulous. And you can pick them from eye level. <laughs> My Maclenia rupestris from Colombia is covered in big uh, blueberries at the moment. Everybody walks past it going, oh, isn't that pretty? But nobody's going to pick one and try it because I don't tell them they're edible. Um, but I eat them as I go past every mm. time. So, um, And it's only a plant in a normal hanging basket. And I would say it's got easily more than a punnet of blueberries on it okay. at the moment. And it's not a particularly mm. big plant. So, but Stephen, this is something we need to hold our breath over oh, because yeah. we can't race out. No, no, them. don't come up this weekend to buy a Maclenia particularly. I've got cuttings in. They'll be yeah. struck shortly. Give me another 12 months or so. I've got good plants of the Cavendishia, though. So if anybody's yeah. interested in that okay. one, I've got good plants of that one available. Yeah. So there okay. you go. All right, we've got some calls coming in. So we better quickly move on to some of these. Uh, all right, line eight, we have... Terry from Chelsea, are you there, Terry? I'm here. All right. Listening to you. Now. Thank you for your uh, um, program. That's a pleasure. Yes. Um, I have um, a bonsai at the Morton Bay. Yeah. Uh, Vic. Now, it's dropping a few leaves at the moment, mm-hmm. and I haven't um, trimmed it back for a while, so, and feeding it too. I haven't sort of given it... Mm. Well, I know you shouldn't feed them too much. No, well, you don't want to push bonsais. Bonsais mm. need to be kept... Well, know, it's, a... um, it's not, uh, what, about 62 years old. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't want to lose it. No, no, fair enough. No. So would you cut it back now, the roots? Uh, I think it's a bit early. I wouldn't too be doing... Too early, yeah, is Yeah, I would have thought so. I mean, I don't like to tamper with root systems too much until we get sort of well into winter. And something mm. like a Moreton Bay fig, I would say late winter, early spring is when I would oh, root prune okay. something so like I that. wait longer. Yeah, I would. Uh, I mean, you could sort of do it now, but then if this coolish weather stays put, then it'd be fine. Yeah, but, but if we, we get a hot spell... I know, which we could still. Yeah, we could. I mean, the days are shortening, but we could still get some heat. So I would leave it till late winter, early spring. Yeah. Most evergreen shed leaves in the autumn anyway. You get, oh, you know, I do that, you'll but get it some seems op- to be dropping a yeah. few, few more than what it normally does. Yeah. So. Yeah. I, look, if it, I know nothing about bonsais, so <laughs> for me I would be saying uh, get in touch with the bonsai group and yeah, well, find out that. if this is happening more widely, if it's yeah. a climate thing. Or, or if it may be something specific with your plant and mm. talk to someone who really knows. I'm sorry, Stephen, I'm no. assuming that you're not a much of a... No, a I'm, not, an, I'm not a great either. bonsai grower, I have so to say. I think you need someone who really knows what, they, okay. what they're right. talking about. And I know there are some good yeah. bonsai groups. Yes, actually, there is a bonsai nursery yeah. not far. Well, I would take it for a little drive, potentially, yeah. oh, okay. and ask the person at the bonsai nursery. Even if, And look... I get a little annoyed when people use me and use me and use me and don't buy from me, uh, yeah. which is only fair. I mean, your, your knowledge know, is being used up all the time. So if yes. you take it along to this person and they're prepared to engage with you, perhaps even offer to you know pay for their services. I mean, yeah, we, right. we pay for a meal and we even give the waiter a tip oh, who's doing his job. So I mean, oh, I know, you, I understand you know, all that. So if you were prepared <laughs> to do that and you've got a bonsai nursery nearby, I would not hesitate. No. Yeah. Mm. Should I give it a little bit of a feed at the moment? I haven't fed it for a while. Uh, well, wouldn't I wouldn't overfeed now, going into the autumn, early winter. I probably wouldn't feed it until you consult with whether you're going to prune it back because if you overstimulate it and then prune it back, it mm. might yeah. get very confused. Yeah. Okay. Yes, because I was going – I do, you know, prune it back from time to time because with the Morton Bay, it you know, how big a tree they They're are. Vigorous, mm. yeah. so, but um, the root system can handle being quite com- 
confined yeah. for a time. Mm. Look, so, just give it a little bit of seaweed emulsion or something like that, yeah. just as I'll a bit of a tonic that. to keep it going until such time as you get a chance to... Yes, uh, I'll go across. Mm. Or I'll give them a call and just see. I know mm. they're not open all the time, no. but I'll um, give them okay, a call. Okay, well, good, good luck. Right. Oh, thank you, because I don't want to lose it. No, I know. <laughs> yeah, well, best of luck with that, and oh, we'll catch you. up again at some stage, too. Yeah, can I ask you oh. just another quick one? Yeah. Um, I planted some um, cuttings from Daphne. Mm-hmm. Now, some of the leaves have dropped off on the cuttings, and others haven't, but the, you know, the little green shoots, the leaf, um, they're coming up quite well, so do you think I would have... Still persevere with them. Oh yeah, Absolutely. yeah, they could, yeah, they could yep. easily be um, striking. Definitely. So yeah, yeah, I'd persevere for a while longer yet, Terry. Yeah, definitely. And do I need to feed them at all? No, no, no. 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 Never feed cuttings early in the piece because if you feed them, they do, their roots don't have to move sideways. Uh, yeah. If they're in a slightly impoverished mixture, their roots will move faster, looking for nutrients, and therefore you get a better root system. Hmm. Oh, okay, great. All, All right, right, then. That's Thank a you pleasure. so much for your help That's a pleasure, and your information. Right. Very informative, this um, show. All Thank right. you. Good. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. 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 Now, somebody who doesn't want to speak on air, and I'll quickly try and read her message, and I think it's for you, Emma, as much as anything. And, and Oh, Susie says, it's great to hear Emma on radio. Um, and a question. A, fam- a family friend has bought a Mount Evelyn house with a great historic garden, but it's neglected. Uh, there are no gardeners, so there is the risk that they will pull it out. Um, where should they start with somebody who can help them preserve this historic its historic value is there a garden club or similar that can help with advice to preserve it or collecting plants seeds etc i will answer this go and see craig wilson at Mm. gentiana nursery um at um alinda yes craig knows all of the big gardens around the area he works in some of them Mm. if he can't take the property on in one way or another he will know the people to talk to this is very true and um and he also knows the clubs and things that are up through that area mm. if there's anybody that would be of use yeah. there. But even talking about the Fernie Creek Court Society, yeah. they're not far from Mount Evelyn yeah. and would surely know some wonderful uh, maintenance people. Yeah. And they certainly, if it's a historic garden, uh, they should be encouraged to get some advice because if they start yeah. going in and clear felling things, they're going to destroy all sorts of potentially valuable plant material, mm. uh, which is just... Dreadful. I mean, mm. I see it as vandalism when yeah. you know but a good garden is destroyed. Not to keep them, they need to give someone the option yeah. of yeah. coming and being able yeah. to move the plant. Yeah, and um, that's the thing with Craig too. Being a commercial nurseryman, yeah. there might be things there that he's quite happy to propagate from. Mm. Uh, all that sort of thing. I mean, if I was closer by, I would probably offer to do it, but it's yeah. a little far for me to go to Mount Evelyn. Yeah, but it's also a standard thing with a garden, particularly an established garden, is you don't touch it for the first twelve months. Mm. You yeah. wait and see what. Everything oh, exactly. Does. That's yeah. very wise. Yeah. But even groups like mine encouraging women in horticulture, we can help put you in touch with female horticulturalists if that's what you're after. Um, and organisations like Landscaping Victoria. Mm-hmm. Uh, you don't necessarily have to be wanting a design uh, in no. order to get in touch with them. Mm. Um, yeah, there's, there are plenty of organisations mm. that are happy to put you in touch with very, very knowledgeable plants people mm. so i hope that helps Susie. um i think it's important that we do these things if we can because mm. i've seen several historically important gardens over the years virtually disappear mm. through lack of knowledge yeah. and, and it's sad 
and especially uh, finding good arborists mm. is really valuable mm. in heritage gardens because the trees are of significance yep. a lot yep. of the time. Yeah, well, I've got a couple of arborists around my area that I use and recommend to people um, around the district if they're mm. looking for somebody to look after their trees well. I wouldn't have the slightest idea who's over that side of town, but there must be good arborists mm. out there that you could get onto and, and get them to <clears throat> assess your trees as well. Mm. So I hope that helps. Now, we better keep moving on because we have John Bentley from the Melton Botanic Gardens. How are you, John? Oh, well, thank you, and good morning, Stephen, Penny and Emma. How and, are you? Um, good morning. Oh, can I give a special thanks to Matt, who answers the phone line? Yes. He's doing a great job. <laughs> uh, Matt Matt put up a an appreciative thumb and a smile then, so that's good. Thank you for that. Oh, lovely. Um, th- things are gearing up again, as you've read out a few announcements. Yep. I just wondered if I could have a, a few about activities uh, to do with the Friends of the Melton Botanic Garden. Why not indeed? Okay. A really big one this month is the celebration of National Eucalypt Day on Wednesday the 23rd of March. And at 10am we have a special guided tour of the Eucalyptus Arboretum. Mm -hmm. So David and Barb Pye, eucalypt experts, are taking that tour. Fantastic. And that'll be that'll be a, walk, a gentle walk around the arboretum, but it will take about ninety minutes with a, a hundred species of dryland eucalypts and um, and about six hundred trees, probably. Although I don't Goodness. think they'll go to every one of them. <laughs> I was going to say that's going to have people's heads spinning by the time they're finished. Uh, but it's really good uh, th- for this tour, though. You do need to go to Humanitics and uh, book in, so it's a bit like try booking and things like that. Um, our people can ring me on 97433819 and I might be able to, to book them in as well if they're having trouble there. Yep, so that's 97433819 and they can always leave a message on the answering machine Thank because much. today is also Clean Up Australia Day. So we're, we're off to the garden soon to um, see if we can pick up any rubbish, find, find and pick up any rubbish is the thing. Yeah, fantastic, John. Yes, I did mention your clean-up day earlier on in the piece. So, Oh, did you? Yes. Sorry, I've, I've, well, that's all right. It doesn't hurt to say it twice. <laughs> I, I've also posted onto the 3CR um, Gardening Show um, website, uh, Facebook page. Fantastic. Well. All right. So, well, yeah. thank you for that. Have a good day. I hope you don't find too much rubbish out mm-hmm. in your botanic gardens. No, we, we might find wet ground, which is really lovely out here. <laughs> yes, you might. Yes, I think that's actually very likely. All right. Well, thanks for calling in, John. Okay, great. Thanks. Right. Bye. Bye. Can I just circle back to um, another tip for our previous caller? I was just thinking when it comes to arborists, a good organisation might be get in touch with the Victorian Tree Industry Organisation. Yeah. They're called the VTIO. And if you visit their website, vtio.org, uh, you might be able to get in touch with them and they could refer you on to an arborist within your area. Yeah, because there a is a difference, database. is there not, Emma, between an arborist and a tree lopper? Absolutely. Yes, <laughs> yes. And, you and know, with heritage trees, you do not want someone unskilled. Yeah. No. And also there's people out there, and I'm not, I'm not saying this is the whole industry, but there are certainly people out there that will come in, you say you've got, you feel uncertain about a tree, they will say, yes, we can take it down. Mm. You want yeah. somebody who'll come in and say, well, there's actually nothing wrong with that tree. It could do with a clean-up. It's got some dead wood in it. Mm. Uh, it might need some weight reduction. Um, all those things. Mm. But 
you want somebody who's going to have the right attitude about the trees, not mm-hmm. just about making money out of you by getting you to take them down. Yes. So, yep. yes, a good arborist is is definitely, definitely worthwhile looking around for. Mm-hmm. And the other people you could ask would be the botanic gardens. Yes. Yep. Yes, too. they have a wonderful hort and arb team. team. Yep. yep. Yeah, yeah, which is fabulous. Uh, all right, well, quickly. So, can, oh, you've got something, Penny? Yeah, yes. I just wanted to show this, which I haven't taken a photo of. But would you take a photo of it? This is this amazing new production, all about garlic. So Goodness me! It's a it's a poster. It covers all the different groups um, and all the different garlics, but it's looking at it from a culinary perspective. It folds up into into a book side, and it's double sided. So it looks at all the different groups. So we've got marbled purple stripe, standard purple stripe, porcelain, rocambole, um, goodness, silver skin, artichoke, and fabulous photographs. And um, it's done by Tasmanian Gourmet Garlic. And I helped right at the end with some editorial stuff. Um, but it is, I think it's worth people knowing about, especially if you're interested in garlic for its cooking. Mm. If you're so, a chef, you'll love this. Yes. And it's got beautiful flat laid images of the garlic. And the Just, cloves and, yes. and the different um, cultivars within Fantastic. the various groups. So, so how does one get one? Okay, so I will be selling them at the Red Hill Show. Oh, good. You right. can get them. You can go to Tasmanian Gourmet Garlic and you can buy them online now. And after the Red Hill Show, I will have them online on well, your on own website, website which yeah. is pennywoodwood.com.au fantastic and the tasmanian gourmet garlic is tasmanian gourmet garlic.com yeah so all one word yeah thingy. Yeah. yeah all right yeah. fantastic so they're, they're 25 dollars um but there's a huge amount of information and if you think well, it's about like buying what, a book <laughs> yeah it's or a big poster yeah i mean it's the sort mm. of money that you would pay for a big poster and if you mm. bought two of them you could hang one below the other because... You've oh, got, yes, you've got both sides. You've got both sides. Yeah, yeah. yeah that's And they good. are beautiful enough yes. that I would say if you are uh, an avid uh, foodie, you would yep. love this hanging in your kitchen. Mm. Yep. Yeah. And and it, the information is top-notch. All right. Yeah. Well, all right. We've got a few text messages that come through, so we'll see if we can yep. whip through a few of these sure. quickly. Um, uh, where are we? Oops. Ah, Somebody, how to spell the climbing hydrangea species you were talking about from Marg? Well, that's easy. Simanii, which is S double E M A double N double I. So Simanii, that one I can spell. Um, and there are other climbing hydrangeas, both evergreen and deciduous, but Simanii is a particularly good one if you're looking for an evergreen climber. Um, all right, uh, somebody, I'd love your suggestions for beautiful driveway avenue planting locations, Albury. Uh, plenty of space available for large trees. Autumn colour, welcome. Um, all right. Are uh, they saying they want to go see some that are already established? No, I think they want to buy some right, and okay. plant an avenue is mm, what I'm getting sure. the sense of. Uh, so up in the Albury location, I'm assuming that if they've got adequate water available, it's mm. amazing what you can grow up there. Mm. You know, if you've got water available, uh, I mean, you could look at a lot of different things. If you're patient, you could look at things like ginkgo. Mm. There's a beautiful ginkgo in the Albury Botanic Gardens. Mm. And you can so, get fastidious. Yes. <laughs> I say yes, that word terribly. Yeah, it is a hard word that one um it's not as bad as trying to remember to say prostrate though True. <laughs> um yes yeah, so you can get a pencil one so ginkgo is a is a gorgeous tree and it's yellow autumn foliage is just stunning um there's a whole range of oaks 
some mm. beautiful oaks. I mean, the uh, Quercus dentata, the Japanese oak with its great big leaves, right down to Quercus phallos, the willow oak with its little tiny willow-like leaves. They mm. all make very grand and beautiful avenue the, trees. Um, in the Botanic Gardens where the white oak split, they've got three beautiful new oaks in there yeah. that are just starting to do some interesting things. Yeah. So yeah. I love oaks and, yes, and you know, they're something that you're planting potentially for posterity. Um I mean, there's the obvious things like English oaks and pin oaks and all those sort of things that people use a lot, but there's a huge array of other oaks that you could look at. Uh, so the obvious isn't necessarily the way you have to go. I have to say, I'd put a plea in for not putting in Manchurian pears. Yeah. Um, they're not a good solid tree. Or that, many of the ornamental yeah, pears, many of the to ornament, be honest. Yeah, I, I, I hate to say it, but I see them as rubbish trees, and they're being overused anyway, the ornamental pears. So, I mean, everybody's planting them. Stephen, are you deliberately avoiding native trees? No, I'm not, but she's talking about autumn colour. Yeah, I know, mm. but, yeah. you know, maybe we do also need yeah. to talk about yeah. You know, well, up Albury trees. Way, some of the larger gums that get beautiful white trunks on them, and there's a whole range of those yeah, you well, could the, the one at Cruden Farm is just Oh, yes, the avenue at Cruden Farm is beautiful with know, the lemon-scented gums. Lemon-scented gums. Mm. Yeah. So, and, and we also, you know, we do need to think about habitat and, mm. and mm. small animals and insects mm. and recreating places. Yeah, where, which is fine, although I have to yeah. say the oaks are really good because the parrots and the galahs yeah, yeah. and the cockatoos no, love agree, them as a food source. I but I just think we need to talk both sides. Oh, yeah, yeah. Because, and, you know... Food for the for the birds, um, all lurp for the pardalo, yeah, you know, whole yeah. range. Of and the other thing I just like to say in passing, planting an avenue can look fantastic, but you've got to remember if you're planting one species of tree, you're putting all your eggs in one basket. Mm. If something does go wrong, it's likely to go wrong to a whole pile of trees. So what do you think about a mixed avenue? I like mixed avenues. If they're, if they're carefully yep. planned, it takes a little more thought yep. because you've got different growth rates, different shapes, habits, all that you sort of thing. You could even do fruit trees. Uh, if you want to, you know, if you want a lot of one fruit, you could do a, an orchard avenue mm. of all apples or pears. Well, you could think about it. The only issue I've got with that is that if I had a huge avenue full of fruit trees, if uh, Queensland fruit fly moves in, it would be an absolute nightmare. Yeah, that's a fair point. Yeah, but so if you're interested in fruit, that's unfortunately going to be... Yeah, it's going to be um, one of those things we have yeah. to deal with. Um, but yeah, so there's lots of alternatives and uh, a good example of sort of an avenue that's a mixed avenue that people might like to look at at some stage is up at, um, uh, at Bright. They've got an avenue that's pin oaks alternated with Indian cedars, yep. which is actually quite mm. interesting because the cedars are evergreen, so they give mm. you something in the winter when the other trees are bare. The pin oaks go a lovely colour in the autumn and they've got an interesting shape. And, yeah, so you're getting two different sorts of trees giving different values mm. to the landscape. So Doing a bit of a drive around looking at some of our avenues of honour in Victoria yeah. would give you mm. a really good mm. um, overview yeah. of the sort of things that mm. that you can grow and what they look like when yeah, they're fully grown. Yeah, exactly. I think that all that sort of thing is, is worthy of looking into. So there's it, it really, in the end, will come down to a large extent to personal taste and mm. what and look you're looking at. And the size you want them to get to Yeah, yeah. End. It sounds to me like they could grow really big. Mm. So Even it would Canadian, be a nice sort of Canadian maples. Possibly, although I have some issues Their with them. Their roots are quite invasive. Yeah, well, invasive. that wouldn't matter on a property. But mm. what does worry me about some of the Canadian maples is they have very sharp V crotches in the trunks yeah. and yeah. they're inclined to be brittle. 
True. You know, so in a heavy summer storm when the weight of the foliage Especially gets Especially in heavy, Albury. Yeah, I, I reckon they could split and fall apart. So yeah, strike I'm, that. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm not all... I mean, they're fantastic in the autumn. I mean, the colour is yeah. just outrageous. Uh, but I don't think I'd be... Particularly planting a whole avenue of them because, mm. again, if a problem strikes, it's going to hit a whole pile of trees. Oaks are strong and trusty and beautiful. They are. And, you know, oh. the lemon-scented gums would be stunning with their beautiful white trunks mm. or any of the white-trunked gums. Yep. I mean, the spotted gums, all those mm. sorts of ones would be rather beautiful mm. uh, so there's lots to choose from so you know but be careful what you do because whatever you do you're going to do in quantity you want to feel confident that you're doing it well mm. so think it through talk to some other people around the I, area I perhaps think the thing that i wouldn't be planting are cypresses oh no or stay away from all those blasted dumb um, leyland cypresses yep. and macrocarpas and things yep. like that mm. they're they're not worth it but what you could cryptomeria might be a bit dense. I was going mm. to actually suggest sequoia. Yeah, that would you know, be beautiful. Imagine an avenue of sequoias with those mm. wonderful rough trunks and the a bit hot and dry. That yeah, they'll cope with it. Need a bit more. Yeah, no, mm. they'd cope with it all right up okay. there. I think there's some good sequoias in the Aurora Botanic Gardens. Mm. So mm. I'm sort of thinking back to what's in the gardens up there, going all right. Well, they're they're doing well. I mean, they water their gardens, so mm. you know they've got moisture there. Um, but it does give you a bit of a sense of what would grow well in the area. Yeah. Keep in mind as well, if you're really looking to create shade, then deciduous trees are the better option. Yeah. Um, if you if you don't mind the the heat, then uh, the eucalypts, you know, they don't create as much shade. No, no, they, they do. Because their leaves sit that way, they tend to allow a lot more light through. So they're much yeah. more filtered sunlight trees. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, so there you go. So that should give you some ideas. Better keep moving along here. I've got a heap of them. Um, uh, a lady has a grafted maple in a medium pot, whatever that is. Uh, if I transplant into a half wine barrel, can I leave it in that? Yes and no. <laughs> until the wine barrel falls apart. Yeah, and, yeah. and, and until the roots get really packed mm. in there but remember japanese maples are in fact classical japanese bonsai plants so they'll mm. cope with a lot of root mm. pruning so what you could do is recycle them take them out every few years when they get a bit root bound do some proper root pruning on them transplant them back in again with some good potting mix mm. and away you go mm. so you could t- treat it as what i call a part-time bonsai <laughs> yeah. um, and it can be done make uh, sure you do it in the autumn or winter yeah. late autumn winter the root pruning yeah Oh, Gorks, is a slightly complicated one here. And I think it's for you, Penny. It says question for Penny, so I'm going to pass it straight over to you. Uh, got a 12-week-old pup, just had his parvo vaccination and now has nasty eczema on her belly. No, no vet until tomorrow, but suggestions for herbs to steep in the process in processed oil to soothe the, the, in the meantime. Any advice? Um, look, the problem is that the steeping in the oil, it's not going to be effective straight away no. anyway. You need time to do that. I would I would be looking at using some sort of light oil, um, so even a light olive oil, but yeah. not a heavy, not a thick one, um, mm-hmm. because that can make some skin conditions worse. What do you think of coconut oil? Um, yeah, coconut oil might be all right, but you're just you're putting on a very very thin layer just to soothe it. You're yeah. not trying to um, smother it or something. Yeah, well, I mean, thick layers of oil can actually be worse, especially if there's so, if there's so, heat being created yeah. by the rash. Yeah. You definitely yeah. don't want to put so too I, much oil. What on. you're just trying to do is is help until tomorrow when you can get them to a vet because mm. you need to get it. You know, professional yeah. advice. So yes, I would say I'm that sorry as well. I can't help more than that. 
All right. Well, I think we've caught up with the calls on the text line. That was fast and furious. Um, We've still got... uh, No, we haven't. We've only got a few minutes to go, so I won't read off the phone numbers again. I'll just quickly mention one of the other plants I bought in. I've been growing this thing for years and never quite sure what it was. It had come to me as a something or another species. And I've just recently ID'd it, and it's a strobilanthus. So Mm -hmm. it's related to the um, Persian shield and a lot of those other plants in that group and it's strobilanthus atropurpurea and it's a really pretty little perennial it only grows to around about 20 centimeters tall makes a nice clump Mm. flowers for ages in the late summer autumn it'll keep flowering right through till the cold weather hits you just cut it down to the ground like your classical perennials at the end of the season and up it comes again the next spring and it's a really pretty shade of dark purpley blue Mm. and uh, so i think it's quite a pleasant plant and I'm now really pleased that I've got a name for it because I've had it for ages as mm. unnamed spur in a genus it didn't belong in and I could mm. never quite figure out because it didn't look right. All right, um, how are we going time-wise? All right, we've got a couple of minutes to go so we might as well do our farewells and so forth and okay. hopefully I'll be able to bring up our theme music in due course. Um, oh, we've got one more text message. Uh, all right, where am I looking? Um Oh, it's uh, take a moment to think about women working in gardens to feed their family, women integrating uh, and rewilding our open spaces and the women in a, in a great number standing up against uh, the Vic government, Vic forests for the logging and uh, uh, massive machinery uh, that they are destroying our trees with. Uh, please talk more about uh, women in horticulture. Emma, Aww. so there you go. So you've got a supporter there. So fantastic. All right, Definitely folks. Definitely keen to focus on those issues. All right. <laughs> well, in, as we should do. Um, all right. I think it's time to say goodbye to everybody and hopefully I'll be able to get up the next program and everything will work. Uh, so, Penny Woodward, thank you for coming in this morning. Nice um, Emma, thank you for coming in this morning. And uh, you've obviously uh, got a few um, fans out there. <laughs> oh, it's my pleasure. And it's uh, to be here. Matt, thank you so much for organising everything this morning and uh, putting up with me and getting things organised out there. Thank you for all of the callers that rang in this morning. And I apologise again for taking an awfully long time to get the program up and running. It was just a matter I didn't have everything turned on properly. So we will catch up with you all next week. So goodbye for now.